Now let me tell you what's free. Baptists like free. Baptists like free. <laughs> now, let me explain this. Uh, I didn't go into a lot of detail. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but uh, I told you I broke my neck when I was uh, 23, uh, back in 1973. And my doctor did not look at the x-rays and sent me back. I mean, it was C, you got seven vertebrae, and C6 was snapped off like a rung on a ladder. He never looked at the x-rays. And, um, and, and, and I told you, if, you, if you broke your arm or leg and, and uh, they didn't fix it for three months, it'd never be the way it should be. And so in, in uh, 1973, they cut me over here in fuse six and seven. And over here, they took the fuse four, five, and six. Uh, and then in, in 13, they did some work on, on C6. And it's pretty much a train wreck. Um, I, I won't tell you what the last MRI said. But all I can say is this. I used to say this. I used to say, if everybody praying for me quits today, I wouldn't be in the ministry a week from now. If everybody that's praying for me quits today, I won't be in the ministry tomorrow, okay? And so if you would be so kind as to take a prayer card. Um, I look at it like this. I'm not going to ask you to promise to pray any amount of time. But I figure if we can get onto a Baptist refrigerator, I've got like six chances a day of getting prayed for. So, um, so I think there's still a few prayer cards back there. And, and uh, if, if you take some, uh, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, all right, I want to talk to you about predestination. Now, I am not a Calvinist, okay? Uh, and I'll tell you why I'm not a Calvinist. I, uh, I was predestined not to be one. I, I tried to be a Calvinist once, and not being one was irresistible. And Calvinists, uh, Calvinists are only messed up about everything. Okay? I mean, every, you know, uh, that tulip they got, none of those points are right. But I'm not talking about Calvinism. I'm not talking about being predestined to get saved. Uh, has, they may, remember, where were you? You know when, when great things happened, like where were you when 9-11 happened? Or where were you when the, the space shuttle blew up? And uh, you remember where you were when COVID hit in March of 2020? Uh, first, second, second week of March, I was in Houston, Texas preaching. And COVID was getting bad. And I got, uh, they put me in a motel like this, hotel. So I got in on Saturday, I went down and, and had breakfast because the, the hotel had breakfast. So I had breakfast Sunday morning. And Monday morning, didn't have breakfast. And Tuesday morning, you had to have a mask. And by Wednesday morning, my entire summer was canceled. Every meeting from, from March to October uh, was canceled. You remember reading about um, small businesses that were, that were shut down? Yeah. You're looking at one, okay? And, uh, but you know what that's all about? The government loves to say no. They love to tell you what you can't do. Do you know what a bureaucrat is? A bureaucrat is somebody who thinks you have the right to do anything you want with, with your own property as long as they give you permission. And, and um, our government said, you know, you can't go out without a mask, you can't go to school, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't go to work. <clears throat> and, and I'll tell you what, they kind of got addicted to that. They're still trying to get back into that mode, are they not? You watch this guy, he's going to have some kind of another, uh, another disease or something. But here's what I'm going to talk to you about. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 1. And Revelation chapter 1, let's look at this verse, verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel 
unto his servant John. Let's bow our heads. Father, we sure thank you for you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. God, we are not worthy of your love. We are really not. We're not worthy of your kindness. And it's nothing about us that makes you love us. It is that you are love. And that you are kind. God, when I look at all the gods of the heathen, you know, I, I laugh. The Muslims call themselves their God, Allah the merciful. Then they cut people's heads off. That doesn't sound merciful to me. You are merciful. You are the only God that is not angry. All the gods of the heathen, Father, are angry. And you are kind and gracious and merciful. And we thank you for that. God, we're saved because of your mercy and your grace. Now, God, there's a message here. And I pray, God, that you will uh, speak to the hearts of the people. Maybe uh, let them see something that uh, is in the future. And maybe we'll be here to see some of this. Not all of it, but we'll see here, be here to see some of it take place. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now it says here, he's going to talk to you about the things which must shortly come to pass. So when I say I'm talking about predestination, here's what I mean. There are some things that are going to happen. I mean, they're predestined to happen. And the government can't stop it. <laughs> they can say, uh, we have decided, you know, you know, you're something about this. This nation was founded so that it, it obeyed laws that were passed by Congress, Right? Now we obey mandates. And you know what a mandate is? There's another word for it. Dictate. So our mandator is our dictator. We've never had a government where the, where the president just said, do this. And, and the guy's going rabbit on it. And the next one probably be worse unless it's Trump. But, but the government, you know, they could have come out of mandate. Let me, let me explain this. Um, I got saved in 1970. Ten weeks later, later, I was in Bible college. But I'm going to tell you, I almost didn't go to Bible college. And it wasn't a rebellion. I wasn't running from God. But in 1970, brother, everybody was talking about the Lord coming back. He's coming back. He's come. And I, I told the guy that led me to Christ, the youth director, I said, I think God wants me to go to Bible college. He said, where are you going to go? I said, I'm not going to go. And he said, why not? And I said, he's going to come before I get out three years from now. I'm never going to finish. So I just want to go out and start doing something for God. Guy gave me the best advice he could have ever given me. It, it didn't change my life. It saved my life. He said, if God, wants to, if God wants you in Bible college, that better be where he finds you when you come. Yeah. And so in 1970, I started Bible college, but I knew I wouldn't finish because the Lord's coming back. I finished. But I knew I'd never get married because the Lord's coming back. But I got married. But I knew we'd never have any kids because the Lord's coming back. We had three boys. But I knew they'd never grow up. I, I think I was right on that part right there. You'd have to know these boys, okay? They got a brain between all three of them. And uh, I tell you, when we get, the four of us get together, it's like, it's like four drunks with no booze. <laughs> None of us drink, but I'm telling you, brother, we, are, we have us a time. But think about that. That was 53 years ago. 54, uh, it'd be for me in June. Uh, when I got saved. So if I wouldn't have gone to Bible college because I thought the rapture was coming, man, would that have been a wrong move? And he's still, I still believe he's coming. In fact, um, I, now I understand this. Tell me if you don't understand this. There are more people saved, dead and buried, who thought the Lord was coming in their lifetime. And now they're dead and buried. But I still think he's coming in my lifetime. You know why? He's got to come in somebody's lifetime, right? Yeah. I vote me. <laughs> now, you know what? If you don't want to call it the rapture, that's okay. I've had somebody say, well, you know, the word rapture is not in the Bible. No, the word is not in the Bible, rapture. But, 
the, the event is, it talks about us being caught away, changed in a moment, and then, uh, and then uh, we're going to be caught away. Uh, we're going to meet the, the, the Lord in the air, and, uh, and it's still going to happen. Now, if you don't want to call it rapture, you can call it the catching away from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, you can call it the translation of Hebrew 11. Uh, and I like, uh, I think I told you the other day, I like Titus. I like uh, the blessed hope. And it's going to happen. And it doesn't matter what people think. It's going to happen. Um, and now, now, can you imagine this? Uh, tomorrow, King Biden goes on national TV and says, uh, I have mandated there will be no rapture. And I can just hear God in heaven going, oh, man. <laughs> well, I don't want to go anyway. He's going to make me wear a mask. <laughs> guys, guys, he can't stop the rapture. No government can stop the rapture. And he's going to come back, and he's going to take us, and we're going to go be, uh, be, with, heaven, uh, be with him in heaven. And, and I do believe that it's happening before the tribulation. Now, some of my brethren want to go through the tribulation. To be very honest, I would like some of my brethren to go through the tribulation, okay? I mean, I could, I, if I could give a list to the God, I'd say, could you keep these guys around, you know, for about three and a half years? They're really excited about that thought. Uh, but we're getting out of here. And I'll explain why. I'll explain why. Brother, you were in Vietnam. Okay. I was never in the military. But here's what would happen. These guys would be taking fire from some area. And when they go in there, all they'd find is a bunch of Vietnamese farmers working in the rice fields. And they didn't know who was a good guy and who was a bad guy. So what they did is they, 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 they made what was called a free fire zone. And they'd go in that area. They'd clean the villages out. They'd take, it, take every human out of that area. Give them a brand new place to live. Now, anybody in that area, you can shoot free fire. You know what God's going to do? You know the, the, the tribulation. We're going we're to look at this a little bit more in a little while, but here's what the tribulation is going to be. Well, it's not actually going to be a black line on a whiteboard. I, I have to admit it's not really that, but the tribulation... is a seven-year period when God turns the earth into a free fire zone. You know why? I don't know about you. I hate to say this, brother. I hate this. I'll bet Wade can, can say it too. I can remember the jokes I told about the cross before I got saved. I don't tell them, but I can still remember. And for 2,000 years, this world has walked on his son. The queers say he was queer. The transgender say he was transgender. Uh, and the commies say that if he was here, he'd have an AK-47 walking through the, the, the jungles of Vietnam or, or uh, Venezuela. I mean, they have mauled the sacred Savior, have they not? And they've they took, taken jokes about him. And, you know, nobody ever gets mad and says, Allah, damn it. <laughs> they always bring God into it. And he is long-suffering. Well, people think God is not a vengeful God. He, he said he's vengeful. He, didn't he say vengeance is mine? It's just that he's long-suffering. So what does that mean? Let me tell you what, uh, I, had, I talked to a guy one time when I was up in New York. Uh, I lived in Auburn, New York, pastored up there. And we had a maximum security prison. 40-foot concrete walls. I mean, it was impressive. And um, there was a guy there that was from Florida, and he was a prison guard. I don't know how he got his name or how I visited him, but he was one of these, not only was he a karate guy, but he was also a weightlifter. And he had been a Florida State trooper. And, and, you know, he was talking. He said, when I was a trooper, 
these guys would see me and they'd say, take that badge off. You're hiding behind that badge. You're a punk. You're afraid of me, you know. And, they, and, and he couldn't do that. Uh, he said, I would be, I'd be out on patrol and the bikers would come and circle his house and charge his door, scare his wife to death. He said they'd spit on me. And, and so, uh, I, you know, I, I asked him one time, I said, did you ever hit anybody? He goes, yeah, once. I said, what happened? He said, well, the guy, I, I arrested him. I'm walking him to the cruiser, and he turned around and sucker punched me. And I said, what'd you do? He said, well, for 30 seconds, he was everybody that ever spit on me, <laughs> everybody that ever scared my wife, everybody that ever told I'm, I mean, it, I said, how long was he in the hospital? He said, six months. He told people that five cops beat him up. But you know what? All that stuff was building up in that guy, building up in that guy, building up. We have a God who is vengeful. Aren't you glad he's not quick draw? Or we wouldn't be around. If it was not, if it didn't say it was slow to anger and repentant of the evil, you know what's going to scare us? What may scare us when we get up there is find out one day God got got so fed up with us that he pulled pulled his pistol, looked at us, went, I've had it with them. I've had it. I'll give him another chance. Anyway, when he gets mad, he is gonna he is gonna make this earth a free fire zone. But you know what you do before you make a free fire zone? You take the innocents out. And so he's gonna take us out. And we're gonna go, and I'll tell you where we're going, all right? Just in case you don't know, we're going here. Now anybody that wants to stay a little longer, have yourself a time. But we're going here, and then there's going to be uh, a seven-year tribulation, but, <clears throat> but, but we're leaving. Now, I believe something may be a little different about the rapture than you do. And uh, did you ever have, hear this, that we're just going to disappear? You blink, and we're disappear. The Bible never says we're going to disappear. It says we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, right? All right, I, I want to tell you something. Do you, know that, do you know that the United States is still officially in a war. Oh, it's not World War I. They signed a peace treaty. That's over. Not World War II. Not Vietnam. Uh, not the Gulf Wars. You know what it is? Korean War. That war has never been ended. It started, uh, I mean, it was June 19th when the, when the communists, uh, North Koreans, crossed their 8th parallel in 1950. They've never signed a treaty. So, now, you say, well, well, I don't see anybody, I don't see him shooting at us. No, but that war is still going on. So the war that's going on right now that we don't notice started in 1950. Jesus Christ, when he ascended into heaven, our rapture, you know, we say the rapture's in the future, our rapture's open. It's open right now. He opened it. When the Lord went up, he's called the first fruits of our rapture. So, so it isn't going to begin when we go. He started it. Back when he ascended. Now I want you to look at something. Look at uh, Acts chapter 1. And we were looking at this a little bit this week. And look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. I told you, I called this last minute instructions. And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. <clears throat> and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. 
And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Did he disappear or did they watch him go away? Now, uh, tell me what you think. He was with them for three, about three and a half years. Don't you think there were plenty of times when he and the apostles were alone and he told them things? Okay. So this is a conversation. Even he's been on, he's been on the earth for 40 days since his, his resurrection, right? And there's times when he, he went into a room and he talked with them. I don't think they knew what was going to happen. I don't think he said, okay, guys, uh, listen, I got I to talk quick. Uh, my cloud will be here in about five minutes. <laughs> I don't think that happened. At the end of verse uh, 8, uh, and in all Judea and Samaria, and in the uttermost part of the earth. I don't, when, when he got done saying verse 8, I don't think he did this. Five, four, three. Have you ever talked to somebody or had somebody talk to you? Here's what's going on. I, I, I said, I said, this is last minute instructions. And, and I see like Peter, the Lord says, now guys, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And Peter says, okay, yeah, okay, go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And all Judea. It's okay, all Judea, Samaria. Gee, I don't like those guys. I don't care where Samaria. And the uttermost part of the earth. And, and so they're going, yeah, check. Uh, Jerusalem, yeah, Judea, Samaria. Mm-hmm. Uttermost part of the earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you do somebody's talking to you, they got done and floated away. Isn't that what he did? He didn't disappear. Didn't they watch him? I'll tell you something else. When he disappeared into a cloud, I don't think they said, hey, okay, guys, he's going. We'll go fishing. I'll bet you they watched that cloud for a while. I would. And this leads actually to one of the most unfair questions in the Bible. Look at verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, they were, they, uh, while they beheld, they're looking at him, people. He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. <clears throat> and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, steadfast, know what that means? Stand fast. They are rooted. You hear me say, man, I, I was rooted to the spot. I was steadfast. I was, I was bolted to the ground. I couldn't move. That's what happened. When, they, when he's gone up, they're just gone. They couldn't move. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went, went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Come on. That's not fair. I mean, could you say, did, did you just see what he did? Like, listen, listen, I've spent three and a half years with him. I've seen him walk on water. I've seen him raise the dead. I've never seen him fly. But they saw it. I think they're going to watch us go. Okay. Now I know you say, well, I think we're just going to do, I, I do think we're going to be changed. You know why you want to be changed in the twinkling of an eye before you go? I'll give you one good reason. That roof. This body ain't going through that roof. Right? So the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, he's going to change our vile body to be likened unto his glorious body. And his glorious body, we know, could walk through a wall, didn't need a door, and he didn't break a hole through it. Guys, you want this body to change before you get to that roof. Because we're going to leave a real impression on that roof. Or it's going to leave a real impression on us. I mean, could you... Maybe that's why it's the last trump. So that when we hear the first one, go for the door. <laughs> and hope you're not in an airplane or, or a submarine, all right? But... I, I, now, I know what this does. I know what this does. It, it, it destroys one of your favorite pictures of the rapture. 
the, the graves exploding open and a big hole being left. No, 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 no. Man, I listen, when you're laying down and the top is right there, you want to change quick. <laughs> but they're coming up. So, so I think we're going to be changed and we're going to go just like that. But, but he's going, they're going to watch us. So the first thing that's going to happen is the blessed hope. And the world can't stop it. Biden can't mandate it. That, isn't it funny? Do you ever watch the movies when they want to make a real villain? Don't they always make him a German? He's always some, got some German accent. And we get this Klaus Schwab saying, and by 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. And I thought, where's the swastika? I saw this guy in a movie one time. Okay? And people still ain't got it. I, I'm going to tell you what else is going to happen. I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 2 Thessalonians, it says this in verse 4. For, uh, well, let's look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Uh, it may not be, but I think that, uh, I, I think that falling away, we, we have a word for it. It's called contemporary movement. Guys, I mean... Thousands of churches have traded sides. Uh, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Uh, now, look, I'm in, I'm in different churches all the time. Uh, I, I didn't know this. My phone told me that last year I traveled 38,000 miles. And one year when we, when we, weren't, when we were full-time on the road, uh, I preached in 53 churches in 52 weeks and preached 350 times. So I'm in a lot of churches. And, and you know what I'm watching? I'm watching our churches, Bible-believing churches, really, really taking the flag. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, the level is elevated like it's never been before. And I get a lot of pastors, and they'll say, man, I've been taking last, about the last 15 years or 10 years or whatever. I've really been getting hammered. Why is that? That is one of the easiest questions there is to answer. And here's what I tell them. I said, imagine that you're facing an enemy force of 10,000 men, and tomorrow all 10,000 are going to attack. And you have artillery, and you got to spread it out to cover a front and try to stop 10,000 men. And overnight, 9,000 decide they're not going to attack. Now, you're going to, now aren't you going to take the artillery to stop 10,000 and concentrate, concentrate it on 1,000? I don't know if you ever thought about this, people. Does the devil want to destroy churches? Why would he mess with a contemporary church? They're done. I mean, if a demon said, I'm going to go mess up that church, the devil would say, whoa, whoa, they're drinking. <laughs> they're boozing it up. They're, they're bed hopping. They're not giving the gospel. They're living ungodly. They're perfect. I, we got them. And so all the devils and demons that used to, to, to go after all them churches, now he's got so much artillery free that he'd come after us about ten times what he was. Uh, I, I couldn't believe this. I mean, there are some things I did not know could be a sentence. And there's one of these contemporary things called Hillsong. And um, the leader of that, the guy that started it, had to resign because he, he was improper with a woman in the church. And when, here's what he said. This was his excuse. I didn't know this could be a sentence. He said, well, I had too much to drink at a church function. I had too much to drink at a church function? I mean, how can you do that? But he found a way. And so they're aiming at us. So 
I think the falling away is a contemporary movement. And then it says this, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Okay, I hope what I'm about to say is true. If the, if the Lord is going to come back soon, the Antichrist is going to show up, right? Well, doesn't that mean he's got to be here now? He's got to be here now. You may have seen him. And, and I think before we go, we're going, to, we're going to go, that is the guy. Now, guy's been naming the guy for years. Everybody remember? It was Harry Kissinger. Or Henry, Henry Kissinger. I mean, it was Henry Kissinger. Uh, there was a guy, and he told exactly who the Antichrist is going to be. Gave his name and told him, told, he's back in the late 70s. Anwar Sadat. And on, in October of uh, eight, uh, 1981, he was assassinated. And somebody said, they, they wrote in his letter, he sent, he sent out this letter, and he said, uh, they said, uh, uh, you said it's going to be Anwar Sadat. Uh, and he's dead. Now what do you think? He goes, well, you got to admit, he sure looked like it. <laughs> but I think we're going to know. We're not going to be any part of the, of the uh, tribulation, but we're going to see this guy. But look at the next verse. Talk about this son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Two things about that. Says he's going to sit, sit in the temple of God, right? Where is that? I'll tell you where it is. Nowhere. There's no temple of God. It got destroyed in 70 A.D. But this said he's going to sit in the temple of God. Does that not mean that that temple is going to be rebuilt? That temple is going to be rebuilt. You know, you know I'm not trying to second guess anybody, especially in, in a war situation. And, and I think that uh, he's, he's been gone for a long time. Most of Diane, uh, he led them in the six-day war, and they defeated all them Arab countries around them. And that's when they took the West Bank of, of Jerusalem. They took the west part of it with the temple. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've said, when, when they just taken it, why didn't they knock down that Dome of the Rock? That Muslim mosque. You say, well, they just started a war. They just whipped everybody. You, they could have done it. They could have, I mean, what are they going to do? They start a war? They just lost a war. They won. And I thought, man, if he didn't knock down that Dome of the Rock, wouldn't that have been, uh, it, it would have sure saved a lot of grief. Because you try to knock it down today, you're going to have some problems. Uh, ten years ago, Kathy and I went to um, Israel. And you ever hear that song, you know, I walk today where Jesus walked. Actually, it should say this. I walk 21 feet above today where Jesus walked. Because you can't step on a piece of ground that Jesus walked on. When a, when a city was destroyed and they wanted to rebuild it, they didn't have bulldozers. They didn't clear anything off. They just piled dirt over top of it and built again. Jerusalem had been knocked down about five times. So every time it got knocked down, they put more dirt. And, and it's the, when you walk on the street of Jerusalem today, you are 21 feet above where Jesus Christ was. You can actually walk where Jesus walked. You go down 21 feet and you're outside, like that wall right there, that would be the outside of the wall of Jerusalem in the time of Christ. Big stones, big, huge stones. And you walk down along this thing, and it's kind of like a, it's almost like a tunnel. It's very narrow. And, and if you go all the way down, there's a pool, and that's the pool of Bethesda you read about in John chapter 5. Or actually chapter 5, but, or what was John 5? But halfway there, you got this little thing all the way there, but halfway there, there's like a little ante room. 
uh, maybe as big as this section right here. And there's always a bunch of Jews looking at this wall praying. Now, they don't, they don't do idolatry or no statues. And, and, of course, we're walking through there and we're kind of uh, wondering what this is about. And our guide said this. That wall, that spot on the wall, is the closest a Jew can come to where the temple used to be. I mean, it's 21 feet down and straight out there underneath that Dome of the Rock. And he said, in 1982, the Jews began to excavate underneath there. They were going to dig a tunnel underneath the Dome of the Rock and set up the temple. And the, the Muslims had uh, audio sensors in the ground, and they caught them, and they had to seal it all up. But those Jews get down here, there to pray, because that's the closest they can get to their temple, all right? And um, it's not up there now. And now I've heard everything about the temple. Uh, I have heard that they're going to knock that thing down, that, that Dome of the Rock, and put the temple there. Uh, I have heard that the Wailing Wall, which is outside that, that Dome of the Rock compound, that that's actually, they can put it right there. They don't have to do that. Uh, I personally believe it's got to be the Dome of the Rock. You know why? You know what the rock is of the Dome of the Rock? You know what the rock is? The rock is that rock that in Genesis chapter 22, uh, Abraham was going to offer Isaac. And that is the rock that was in the temple. So I do believe that it's going to be where the Dome of the Rock is. But let me tell you something. Now, I I hope your pastor remembers this. When I teach, I teach what I think is right. But if I hear something, now I don't talk about heresy. But if somebody has a, a different view, I try to give them the different view. I don't denigrate it. I just say, here's, here's what some people say. I don't think so. But I want them to know. I want them to hear it. You understand? So I heard this guy preaching one time, and here's what he said. They don't have to build the temple. <laughs> well, he's sitting in the temple. They got to build the temple. He said, no, they don't have to build the temple. And so I want to figure out what this guy's going to say. And he said this. All they got to do is put the tabernacle up. Now, in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, that's, that's way on the eastern side of PA. That's a big Amish community. People go there and they see the Amish people. But there's something there. And a lot of people that go to see the Amish, they overlook something. There's a Mennonite college there. And in that Mennonite college, they have a life-size reproduction of the tabernacle. It would fit inside this room. It's not, it wasn't big. And, and you know what's neat? The, the people that are the guides for it, it's always some old saved Mennonite man or some old saved Mennonite woman. Do you know who gets, gets the gospel? Jews. They've never seen their tabernacle. And if they're out there looking at them Amish, they, I mean, you ought to see it. You'd see these, these little people, their beanie on their head. And this old Mennonite lady, she's preaching the gospel all but giving a, taking an offer and, and, and giving an invitation. And now, I, you, know, you don't have to be a deep Bible scholar to know there's a difference between a tent and a brick and mortar building, right? So I think they're going to put up the temple. This guy said they could just put up the tabernacle. Now, let me ask you a question. And I've mentioned it uh, this week. Don't we accept the Bible as what? Our final authority in all matters of faith and practice? Yeah. And sometimes doing that can sure mess up what you think. Uh, let's go to a book with a good, honest-sounding name. Keep a place here because we're going to come back. But go to 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 1.
Let me give you a quick, a quick, just a few years of history of where we are here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. There's no king. Samuel's the prophet. He's the judge. He's ruling the, the nation. Um, in uh, nine chapters, uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, uh, that's where God chooses Saul to be king. He reigns for 40 years. Then David comes and he reigns for 40 years. And then he dies. Then Solomon builds the temple. So this, this is about at least 100 years before the first temple was built. You understand? There's no temple. And you know the story. Uh, Hannah was barren. She could not have any children. She, she was praying to have a child. And look what it says in verse 9. <clears throat> She'd been praying. It says, so, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat upon a, uh, a seat by a post of the... What's that say? The temple of the Lord. But that's not a temple. You know what that is? That's a tent. That's not the temple. It's a, hundred, it's a century before they ever even cleared the space for the temple. This is the tabernacle. This is that thing that I told you. You can go see a, a, a reproduction of it uh, in, in Pennsylvania. Now the Bible says when God says something twice that it, it's established. So look at chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And look at verse 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. Now, I'm going to say this again. I don't think they're going to put up the tabernacle. I think they're going to build the temple. I mean brick, mortar, the whole nine yards. That's what I think. But my final authority just showed me that God twice called the tabernacle the temple. So maybe they won't. Maybe they will just put up the tabernacle. Guys, they could do that. They could do that in a day. It wouldn't take weeks. It wouldn't take months. It wouldn't take construction equipment. But that temple is going to be rebuilt. So keep your eye on that. Now look back to 2 Thessalonians because there's something about your King James Bible that, that, that King James haters love to jump on. Uh, it says this in verse 4. Right in the middle. So that he is worshipped as God, capital G, sitting in the temple of God, capital G, showing himself that he is God, capital G. And I've heard people criticize King James Bible for this. That, that God shouldn't be capitalized because it's the devil. And he's, he's a lowercase g. He, guys, he's already a lowercase g. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, If our gospel be hid, it's be hid by them uh, because of the, the, the God of this world. He is already a lowercase g. He ain't satisfied with that. He wants to be the real thing. He wants to be capital G. So that's exactly what it should say. It's kind of like this. If, if some guy worked out here, you know, and he worked for a company, and his, and, his, and his family lives in Michigan, and I can understand why they'd want to get out of there, and he's telling them he's the president of the company. He's a janitor. Well, they're never going to know. And then one day, hey, we flew in to surprise you. We want to see your company. You do. And so he, they all pile in the car. And to prove that he's the president when he pulls in the parking lot, the president's car is not there. There's a, there's a reserve for the president. He pulls his car right in that parking spot. 
They went, wow, you are the president. Yeah, right there's my parking spot. Now we have to leave right now. <laughs> Guys, he wants to sit in the temple of God, showing that he is God. Now, uh, I, I tell Americans to do this all the time because they don't. Uh, I always say this, Americans quit thinking after they got their TV sets. And now we don't use our brains, we use our remote, okay? But, uh, but I want you to think about this. Doesn't the world have to embrace, accept the Antichrist? So doesn't he have to do something to, to make him love him? So try to think of what he's going to do. Uh, I'll tell you what he's not going to do. I don't think he's going to bring a whole lot of peace to this world. Um, I don't think he's going to balance all of the economies of all the nations. But there's one thing he could do. Do you know who the greatest problem, the people, the people today are the greatest problem in the world? They're called Muslims. Man, they are killing Jews. They are killing Christians. They are killing uh, the, the uh, Hindus. They are killing Buddhists. They, 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 they just let some of them into uh, Japan and they're knocking down Shinto shrines. I'm not for Shinto shrines, but these people are everybody's problem. They're killing communists in China. The Muslims are killing Muslims. And they're having a field day, aren't they? And this was a preacher friend of mine said this. He said, would it be something if the Antichrist, though nobody knows he's Antichrist yet, he be, he's a world leader of some kind, and he says this, I've had it with the Muslims. And he pounds them to sand. I mean, he goes to war with the Muslims like, like it should happen and destroys them. And then he looks at Israel and says this, you don't have to worry about your Arab neighbors anymore. You don't have to worry about the Muslims. Go ahead and build your temple. And if you don't mind, I'd like to be there for the dedication. They say, yeah, we like that idea. So here's what's going to happen. They're going to build that temple. And that temple, they're going to put it up right, right here. I think somewhere out here, maybe after the rapture, he's going to settle the thing with the Muslims. And you're going to have three and a half years... another three and a half years. And I think halfway through that tribulation, they're going to have that temple built. And he's going to come to dedication. And I'll tell you what them Jews are going to say. Buddy, you're our hero. We couldn't have built this without you. We got you the best seat in the house. You, got, you can see everything from right here. This is your reserve seat. He says, yeah, I'm not going to sit there though. Oh, 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 you understand. This, there's not a better seat any place. You don't want to sit any place else. That's where you want to sit. We've got that for you. No, no, I've already got my seat. Well, where are you going to sit? I'm going to sit where I belong. And then he's going to turn around and start up the steps of that temple. They might, they might appreciate him when he helped him build that temple, but he starts up those steps, and they're going to say, you can't do that. You can't go in there. And he's going to say, it's my house. And he's going to go into the temple of God. He's going to go to the mercy seat and sit in the house of God, showing that he is what? God. And when he does that, those Jews are going to go, get out of here. You don't belong here. And he's going to say, I'll kill you. And that leads us to this. Now, let me understand that this is the whole, this whole thing is the tribulation. 
This whole seven years. So for this entire period, you're getting, uh, you, I, don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you believe in investing. I'm not an investor. I'm not against it. I'm just not a good, wise investor. But if you want to invest, invest in construction. Anybody ever seen pictures of Berlin in 1945? Just bombed out rubble. Ever, ever seen Hiroshima after the bomb? Did you ever wonder what this world is going to look like after seven years of 50-pound blocks of ice falling out of the sky? Earthquakes and things like that. Look, this building probably won't last. It might stand a couple of storms, but seven years, everything. There's going to be bridges down. There's going to be buildings down. So I really believe this. I don't say this is a joke. The first thousand-year the thousand millennium, the first hundred years is going to be rebuilding. So invest in construction. All right, so they're going to make a, they're going to make a, a pact with the Antichrist this first three and a half years. When he comes here, now this is all called the tribulation. But when he comes in here and sits in that seat right there, and they say no, this is called Jacob's trouble. Which is concurrent with the, with the, the, the free fire zone. So nobody's after the Jews this first half. But that second half, that Antichrist is going to say, I'll wipe you off the earth. So, I still believe, standing here before you, I believe that the Jews, somehow, I do not know, they're going to knock down that dome of the rock, and they're going to occupy that compound, and they're going to build the brick and mortar temple on the spot where the, where the, where the uh, dome of the rock is. I could be wrong for one of two reasons. Maybe that isn't the location, and they're going to be able to build it without knocking that down, or maybe they'll put the tabernacle up. Two times, the tabernacle in my Bible is called the temple. And I know it's not the temple. God doesn't seem to know. <laughs> and God's always right. So, that temple's going to get rebuilt. Uh, I want to show you something odd. Look at Revelation chapter 13. I, I don't know if you noticed about uh, COVID. But did you notice that when you watched your television set, all of the unreasonable, dictatorial, uh, uh, iron-fisted police things about, about COVID was all in white European nations. It was in Europe. Uh, it was in Australia, in New Zealand, here, Canada. Do you know that there are African nations that still have never had COVID? Never had a case of COVID. Maybe that's not who they were after. Now, look what it says. <clears throat> There's something interesting here in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. It says, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, the sea is the sea. You ever hear many people say a sea of people? That's the population of the earth. Having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his, the, uh, his heads the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. Uh, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. Now, look what it says next. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. Okay, let me tell you what's predestined to happen. One of these days, there's going to be a one world government ruled by one man. And, and yet, look what it says. It says, when this, the Antichrist shows up, the beast, the dragon has already consolidated power. And if you looked at what was going on in COVID, you know what I think it is? I, I think, now, you can call the dragon by any name you want. You can call him the dragon. 
they got to be here now. They got to be here gathering uh, uh, all of the uh, all of the power of the world into a one world government. You could call the the, the beast the uh, world economic forum. Ain't they trying for a, a one world government? Uh, you could call them the Illuminati. You call them the Bilderbergers and the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. <clears throat> call them anything you want. And I'm not into that conspiracy stuff, but. Before the, the beast gets here, before the Antichrist, that man gets here, the group, the, bee, the, the dragon, is going to consolidate world power. Isn't that what they've been doing through COVID? But here's the strangest thing. There have been a lot of men that want to be a dictator. Uh, you know, I, um, I, I got to tell you something. You may, be, you may be in the same trouble I'm in. COVID showed me that I owe somebody an apology. Now, I can't apologize to him, but... But I owe an apology. And if you study a little bit of history, we know about Adolf Hitler. He was the dictator of Germany, and he became dictator in 1940. But he was voted in as chancellor five years earlier. And you know what we always said? It, it took him from 1935 to 1940, five years, to become dictator. Kind of like what we got going on in the White House right now. And I've always looked back there, and I've heard other people say it. I've said, why didn't those German people stop him? Why didn't they do anything to stop him from 35 to 40? I now have the answer. They couldn't. Do you understand that if the Bible's not true, and history just rolls on, we're going to fall as a nation. And 100 years from now, they're going to read a history book, and they're going to say about Biden. They're going to say, he, he became president, he wasn't, in 2016, and it wasn't until 21, uh, or I mean uh, 25 or 26, that he became the dictator. Why didn't them people in the United States stop him? Let me ask you something. How are you going to stop him? You, you aren't going to stop him. And, and of course, everybody thinks, well, I'll go shoot him. You could shoot him, you ain't going to stop him. Right? I'm not for that. But what I'm saying is, there's going to be a one world dictatorship. And you, you can't stop it. But the amazing thing, it took Hitler five years to become dictator. Now, could you imagine when he finally says, I am the dictator? I mean, Castro, did he not become the dictator of Cuba? And Mao Zedong became the dictator of China? Did you ever anybody see anybody that finally became a dictator? And when they had all the power consolidated to them, they said, I got all the power in the country. And I'm going to give it to this guy over here. <laughs> Nobody ever became a dictator and handed the power off to somebody else. That's exactly what the dragon's going to do. They are, as we speak, consolidating the power of a one-world government, and then when they become the absolute power, they're going to hand off somebody else. That's the wildest thing there is. But it's going to happen. Um, I want you to look at, uh, look at Matthew chapter 24. Now, I want to, uh, we're going to keep, keep Matthew 24, but get Matthew chapter 10. Get Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look there. Because you may not know this, but Matthew chapter 24 is a deja vu of Matthew chapter 10. And here's why. Look at Matthew 10. Now, guys, guys, do you understand that when Jesus Christ came, he came to be Israel's Messiah? He came... For Israel, had God not promised Israel the Messiah? So, God says, I'm going to send you a Messiah. 
He's going to set up a government and rule the world. Jews have been waiting for centuries for that. He shows up. They're supposed to accept him. And then the kingdom starts. So you got saved by what is known as the kingdom of God. That's the spiritual indwelling of the Holy Spirit when you trust Christ. But there is a, there is a kingdom called the millennium. And out beyond that, the everlasting kingdom. And that's the kingdom of heaven. Not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of heaven. And look what the Lord preached when he came. Look at, look at chapter 10. He sends his disciples out, 12 of them. And look what he says in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles. Hey guys, you and I just got cut out of the kingdom. And into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's about to start. Now, he sends them, those, those guys out. And he's sending them, 12 of them. And, and this is the Mediterranean. You didn't know it was orange. You should see it. It's really beautiful orange. And there you got the Sea of Galilee. And the Dead Sea. And Israel's right here. Israel is about... Uh, 70, 71 miles by uh, about 250. Okay, this is, this is, this is Israel. And um, he sends these guys out. Now, did he say, don't go to the Gentiles? Okay, look at chapter 12. And he could almost, you could almost think there's a contradiction in the Bible because in chapter 10 he says, don't go to the Gentiles. In chapter 12... He says this, verse 17, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit unto him, uh, upon him, and he shall show forth judgment to the Gentiles. Look at verse 21. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Now didn't he just say in chapter 10, don't go to the Gentiles? And didn't he just say in chapter 12, we're going to the Gentiles? Now does that sound like contradiction? And it would be. But somebody, i got a deep Bible question. See if anybody can figure this out. What comes between 10 and 12? 11. And I want to tell you something, guys. Matthew chapter 11 is one of the most pivotal chapters in the history of mankind and the world. In chapter 10, he tells those Jews, those, those 12 guys, go only to Israel, preach the kingdom of heaven. Look what it says in chapter 10. Look at verse 22. And, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Keep that little phrase in mind because you're going to see it again. Now, he says in 10, don't go to the Gentiles. In 12, go to the Gentiles. Something happens in 11. Now, I, I hate to say this, and I, I don't mean it in any way disparaging. Uh, you know, the Lord healed a lot of people. Did you know that when he healed people, it was not because of compassion. He didn't see a blind guy and say, I feel bad for him. I'm going to heal him. Uh, and there's somebody with palsy. Uh, I'm going to heal him. We know that the Jews rejected Jesus Christ as our Messiah, correct? But don't you think there's some guy, some analytical Jew, some accountant or something? And doesn't the Bible say that before Jesus Christ came, there were a lot of other guys came in and said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. There had to be some Jew 
And, and the Jews that didn't know their Bible, when one of these guys show up and say, I'm the Messiah, they'd say, hey, hey Ivan, this guy says he's the Messiah. Now, what do you think? And he knew he's got, he got a bunch of checks. He got a checklist. And he goes, well, uh, is he from the tribe of Judah? Uh, no, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, I'm done. He's got to be from Judah. Okay. And then another one shows up and says, he's the Messiah. Okay, is he from the tribe of Judah? Yes. Huh? He is? Yeah, okay. I checked that, yes. Uh, but he can't just be from the tribe of Judah. He's got to be from the line of David. Oh, yeah, this guy's not from the line of David. And he's out. Jesus Christ shows up. Um, well, he'd have to be from the tribe of Judah. He is. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he'd have to be from the line of David. Oh, he is. Oh, uh, yeah, but he can't be the Messiah. Why not? Well, because he has to be born in Bethlehem, and this, this Jesus guy comes from Nazareth. Oh, yeah, he lives in Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem. Really? And one by one, this guy is checking off, yes, 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 yes. And if he has 25 of them, he's got 24 of them checked yes. And he can't check the 25th. And they say, man, you got a bunch of yeses. You think he's the Messiah? Say, uh, yeah, there's no way he can be the Messiah. Well, look at all that thing. Yeah, I know. He's fulfilled a lot of this. But he cannot be the Messiah. Why? Because it says here that before the Messiah comes, Elijah's going to come. And nobody named Elijah showed up before this Jesus guy. We asked John the Baptist if he was Elijah. He said he wasn't. And now he's here, so Elijah can't show up. He can't be the guy. So that's a, that's a deal breaker, right? That's a deal breaker. You can't make him the Messiah. Now look what happens in chapter 11. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples. This, we just told him, go to, go to the Jews. Uh, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in, in the prison the works of Christ... He said to his disciples and said to him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, why did he say that? I mean, isn't this the guy that said, Behold, the Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world? This is not only the forerunner. He doesn't even know he's Elijah. This is also Jesus' cousin. Now, actually, I actually heard some guys say, Well, he forgot who he was. Do you know your cousin? I mean, I got cousins. I got cousins I haven't seen in decades, probably never seen before I die. I remember them. And that's what they said. He forgot who Jesus was. Are you the one? No. Let me ask you a question. I told you, I think, earlier this week. I am blessed thinking, knowing that my God has been involved in three prison breaks. If you were John the Baptist, I mean, for six months, you've been beating the drum, getting the attention of all the Jews Say, behold the Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world, and they threw you in jail. Wouldn't you say, my cousin get me out of this. Jesus is coming to town. I heard he's coming to town. And he's going to come by, and he's going to get me out of jail. I know he is. He not only didn't come by and get him out of jail, he didn't come by and visit him. You know what John's doing? He's smacking his cousin in the mouth. Are you the one? Smack. Are we looking for another? When he asked him if he's the Messiah, Jesus Christ didn't talk about being from Judah. He didn't talk about being from uh, 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 David. He didn't talk about being born in Bethlehem. Look at his credentials. Look at verse uh, 4. 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which he do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached unto them. When Jesus Christ healed people, that was, that was proof that he was the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be a healer. And that's why he healed people. But you still got this Elijah problem. Oh, by the way, John smacked him in the mouth. So he smacked him back. Look at the next verse. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Uh, tell John this. But now watch him address this. Because he cannot be the Messiah without Elijah showing up. And Elijah did not show up before he, before he came. Look at verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John... What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaking it with the wind. But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in, in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yeah, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. Now, stop. You know who I think is in the crowd? The crowd here in this? Ivan. And he's got like 24 out of 25 yeses. And he's got one he cannot, he cannot put a yes on Elijah being, up, being there. And look what he says in verse 10 about John the Baptist. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. That's the prophecy of Elijah. I am telling you that when the Lord said that, Ivan went, He's talking about Elijah being here. How's he going to do this? Verse 11, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Watch. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias which was for to come. He that hears here, let him hear. You know what he just said? Guys, I am the guy. If you will accept John as Elijah, I can be your Messiah right now. Now, usually when you reject something, you say something like, no, or I'm not interested. Sometimes, you know how you reject things? You ever, uh, like you walk where there's a guy trying to sell stuff, hey, you want to, and you just ignore him? That's what the Jews did. Guys, I'm a King James Bible believer. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, change a word of it. But I'd like to put, you see verse 15 and verse 16? I'd like to put about a half inch of space between those two verses because when he said, if you will accept John as Elijah, I can be your Messiah right now. We'll get this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what them Jews did? They stood there and whistled into the wind like a spastic at an auction. <laughs> they were afraid to scratch their nose lest they bought something. They knew what he said. They knew what he said. And they said nothing. And in verse 16, he goes off at a tangent. But we're too shall I liken this generation. This is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have, we have uh, piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not lamented. You know what he's saying? You guys have been talking to my father for thousands of years, saying, Send the Messiah, send the Messiah, and you just had the opportunity, and you just blew it. So, in chapter 10, he says, Go to the Jews, not the Gentiles. In chapter 11, he tells Israel, Take me now. And when they said no, he said, 12, I'm going to the Gentiles. What happened to the kingdom of heaven? Matthew 13. It goes into mystery form. 
but it's going to come one of these days, right? Which means this whole thing's got to be, it's got to be repeated, and it's going to be repeated. Now look at chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, look what it says in verse 3. Watch, watch. You want to see a stupid question? Preacher, when are you coming? <laughs> you don't know how to answer that, right? I mean, it's like, he's sitting there. Why would I say, when are you coming? Right? Don't you think there's something wrong with me? These guys were starting to suspect something. Look what it says. Verse 3. And as they sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? <laughs> He's sitting in front of them. Why would you say to somebody, when are you coming? They, they, they're, they're seeing something. And of the end of the world. And he, he goes in and says this, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So, the kingdom of heaven is going to be preached again. And, and I'll tell you what I, where I think it's going to be, okay? Uh, and I will, I will tell you the opposing view. Um, in Revelation chapter 11, you have Moses and Elijah. Now, you know what we miss about Moses and Elijah? We miss that they're there for three and a half years. Look, keep your place here, but look at Revelation chapter 11. And in Revelation chapter 11... Verse 3, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. They are preaching for three and a half years. In Jerusalem, they stay in Jerusalem. Their ministry is straight to Jerusalem. How do you know? Look at verse 8. When they were killed, their, bed, their dead bodies uh, shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our, also our Lord was crucified. Jerusalem is where he's crucified. And then they come back up and they go up. Now, these guys here, and, and I will tell you, some people say that, that the, um, the ministry of Moses and Elijah is the last half tribulation. I'm not going to denigrate that. You can believe what you want. I think it's here. I think it's the first half. I know it's going it's to be front, first or the last. It's going to be three and a half years. Here's what's going to happen. In this first half of the tribulation, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is going to be preached again. So how do you know? Go back to Matthew 24. And isn't this a strange verse? And he, verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. <laughs> Didn't you read that in chapter 10? Now look at the next verse. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. You know who's going to preach this gospel of the kingdom in the tribulation? A hundred forty-four thousand Jews. Or Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll be in the tribulation. They, they may do it. Now, you might ask this. 
how come that in Matthew chapter 10, he sends out 12 guys, and here he's sending out 144,000? That's a real easy question to answer. I think I mentioned it earlier. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I was preaching someplace else, and I remember saying it. But because of the flood, the population of this earth was literally wiped out down to eight people, correct? I don't, know if ever, I don't know if you ever thought this. You guys, uh, I don't know if you have them here. I see a lot of them. If you get a, get a, get a, like a Rand McNally atlas and look at some of these western states, and you know what you'll see? You'll see, little, you'll see this. I mean, it don't have a name here, but it's some kind of a dry lake. You know what's a dry lake? Why was it a lake? Because when, when, when Columbus landed, when the pilgrims came, there were still puddles left over from the flood. And now they're dry lakes. Okay, so here's what they estimate. By the time of Jesus Christ, the entire planet only had 200 million people. That is fewer than we have in our country. We've got 350 million. So with only 200 million people, if you wanted to go to the Jews, you know where you found them? Right here. 71 wide, 250, right there. You got most of the Jews right there. Today, Jews are everywhere. We got 8 billion, and Jews are everywhere. So he ain't covering the, the, the planet with 12. He's sending out 144,000. I think this 144,000 are going to be right here. You say, why do you think that? Well, doesn't he say the gospel of this kingdom is going to be preached? And look at the next verse. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. There's no holy place, guys. You know where the holy place is? It's in the temple. Which means this is going to happen in the mid-tribulation. In the middle. So, here's what I think is going to happen. Moses and Elijah, for this first three and a half years, are going to be in Jerusalem with their ministry. And they're going to be a torment to the world. 144,000 Jews are going to be going around the world looking for Jews and saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, somebody's going to say okay, and somebody's going to say, ah, nuts. Right? Not all Jews are going to sign on. And then there is going to be a mid-tribulation rapture. I have a book, I haven't mentioned it, uh, it's on one of the ends down there called, uh, it's something about dispensations, understanding your Bible through dispensations, and people are afraid of believing in dispensations, and I'll tell you why they are, they're intimidated, they think they won't understand it, that book is real easy to understand. If you don't believe in dispensations, all right, in Acts chapter 16, this question was asked, answer it for me. I'm going to ask you the question that was asked in Acts chapter 16, you guys all know the answer. What must I do to be saved? Somebody tell me. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Well, I can even show you. Wait a second. Look back to Matthew chapter 19. Keep your place in 24, but look at Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Doesn't that sound kind of like, What must I do to get to heaven? And look at the answer. 
And he said unto him, verse 17, thou, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, if you go soul winning with somebody, and you're at somebody's house, and the lost guy says, Well, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And your soul winning partner says, well, Yeah, it's easy, keep the commandments. Are you going to say okay? Something changed from 19 to today. And that is Jesus Christ was crucified. Um, so look at 24 because there's a, there's a marvelous thing in chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 24. And what you've got right here. After the, king, after the kingdom of heaven is preached to all nations. Look what it says. Verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Uh, neither let him, uh, let, let him which is in the field uh, return back to take his clothes. And woe be unto them that are with child. And so unto uh, uh, them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. Neither uh, on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation. Um, such as was not since the, the beginning of the world. For, uh, to this time no nor ever shall be. And guys all of this is about a tribulation. And you got a rapture in the middle of this tribulation. See, I do believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. It just ain't ours. We are already out of here. And here's what's going to happen. Here's how I see it. We go up right here. Say why? Because tribulation isn't about us. I got to tell you something. <clears throat> I've changed what I believe. I, even since you've been in school. Do you want me to stop now? <laughs> no, I changed what I believe. In, uh, in, in Romans chapter 11... And verse 25, well, that whole section, <clears throat> isn't that about the olive tree? And, and the olive tree is Israel. It's a good olive tree. And we are from a wild olive tree. And they grafted, God grafted us in to Israel. That's how we got. Guys, do you know what I'm talking to? Am I not talking to a bunch of people, the Gentiles? Yeah, with a Jewish book on your lap. With a Jewish Savior, right? I mean, if this book ain't it, we're hooked. We're in trouble. So we got grafted in. And he said, if I can graft you in, I graft you back out, put the good branches back in. And it says in verse 25, he's going to do that at the fullness of the Gentiles. And here's what I used to think. I used to think that the fullness of the Gentiles, you know, doesn't look like it, but that's calendar. And like somewhere up in heaven is a calendar and, and, and in some month, we don't know what month, and we don't know what day, but just like, like your birthday, every day you're getting closer and closer, this is called the fullness of the Gentiles, and every day we're ticking, and, and and finally we're going to come to this day, and God's going to quit dealing with Gentiles, and begin dealing with Jews. I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. You know why? In Genesis chapter 15 verse 16. God tells Abraham. Your kin are going to be in Egypt for 400 years. Because the wickedness of the Ammonites. Amorites is not yet what? Full. You know what the fullness of Gentiles may be? I mean look around the world guys. You know all this transgender stuff? Jews ain't doing that. Gentiles are doing that. Getting up and saying you can have relations with a child, physical relations with a child, that's Gentiles doing that. All this stuff going on in these countries that's, that's enslaving people, 
That is Gentile. You know what it's going to, I think the foolish Gentiles is going to be? Not a date on the calendar. It's when God says, I have had enough. I am up to here. I am full. Just like Genesis 7. Just like uh, uh, Genesis chapter 18 and 19 with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so I think that day is going to come. And we're going to go out because he's done dealing with us. He takes the innocents out. That's you and me. And he starts dealing with the Jews. So during this, this three and a half years, here's what you're going to have. You're going to have, number one, Moses and Elijah in Jerusalem. Number two, 144,000 going around the world seeking Jews. Let me ask you this. When the, when the Jews came out of Egypt, did any Gentiles come out with them? Yeah. Remember it said there was a mixed multitude? Remember it said there were Egyptians among them? There were some Egyptians that put some blood on their doors. They had to be. There were some Egyptians that said, I'm with you, buddy. And so it's going to, these guys are going to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the Jewish kingdom. And some Jews are going to go, I'm with you. And some Gentiles go, can I come too? So you're going to have the, the Moses and Elijah. You're going to have the 144,000. And people that I can only call believers. Okay? So believers in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Believers that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's going to go on for three and a half years. You saw the kingdom is going to be preached in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And then the abomination of desolation. Now, some people put this here. I put it here. And I'll tell you why. Because this is where that guy goes into the temple and sits down and says, I am God. And the Jews say no. And now the next three and a half years is going to be great tribulation. It is going to be like nobody ever saw. And he's going to go after the Jews. Maybe, maybe. I'll give me a maybe. We won't be here. But maybe it won't even be against the Jews. It says if you be in Judea. He may just be out to kill all the Jews. You know, I mean, did Hitler, when he gassed Jews, did he go to Nebraska to get them? Did he go to Africa to get them? Where did he get them? Where he had power. And so it may just be the Judean Jews, but this is where it's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble, and he's going to try to kill them Jews. You know he's going to go to Salem Patriot, right? Could you, could you explain to me how they're going to be safe? Everybody and their dog knows they're going to say the Patriot. Everybody knows they're going to say the Patriot. You think the Antichrist is not going to know? You say, how are they going to be safe? We have a God. I have no idea how they're going to be safe. But they're going to be safe. Because we have a God. They have a God. Same God. So this, concurrent with the free fire zone, this is going to be three and a half years of Jacob's trouble. And he's going to be chasing those Jews. But there's an amazing thing in Matthew chapter 24. A little, when, when your preacher was in college, uh, I explained to my students, you know what this is? When you're, when, you, when you're looking at a sentence, and you got a word and a word and a word, and then you got this. What are these? Parenthesis. The parenthesis in the King James Bible are amazingly revealing. Uh, they, they, they unravel so many mysteries. And there's a crazy parenthesis in Matthew chapter 24. Look at it. Verse 15.
When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And that means the temple is up. The temple is up. The holy place is there. And then look what it says. Parenthesis. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Parenthesis. Can I ask a question? Who's that parenthesis written to? Well, it's not written to you. We're not going to be there. Well, how can it be written to the Jews? They don't read the New Testament. So we just eliminated everybody. <laughs> right? I mean, it's not written to Gentiles. You know what that parenthesis tells you? That is a revelation that some Jew in that tribulation is going to go out behind a barn and look over the New Testament. You know, when I, I didn't tell you. I, I'm sorry for taking so long. Listen, if I take too long tonight, just don't come back tomorrow night. But, when, but we went to the Wailing Wall. And when you go to the Wailing Wall, you have to have a Bible. A Jewish Bible, a Hebrew Bible. So you know what they do? You got guys, they're, they're coming from work. They have a little tray. You ever see just like a little, a little wheeled tray? Like you used to put a, a, a projector on. It has a shelf on the top and a shelf on the bottom. And it's just filled with Hebrew Bibles. And here's what these guys do. They're going to the Wailing Wall. You got to put a little beanie on. They provide you with that. You grab a Hebrew Bible and then you go to the Wailing Wall. You get done. You put the Bible back. I found some Hebrew New Testaments before I went. And yes, we did. <laughs> we had us a Hebrew Bible. They didn't even know. And we didn't get off that chart, off that cart. And so when we left, we put a couple of Hebrew New Testaments in there. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see some Jew when he picks up, just grabs one, walks up the way the one goes, maybe takes it home. This tells you that in the tribulation, the, some Jews are going to sneak behind the barn and they're going to look at the New Testament and they're going to see what's coming. Now, the Jews got to escape. There, there is a mid-tribulation rapture. And it's not only a mid-tribulation rapture. It's going to be Moses and Elijah, the 144,000, and whoever gets on board. I'll show you. Look at, Matthew, or look at Revelation chapter 11. And Moses and Elijah are murdered. And look at verse 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them uh, which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven. They say, from heaven. They're standing on the earth, right? And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. That's another rapture, and they're watching them go. This is the only rapture in the Bible you can watch it happen in one, two, three verses. Look, look at, keep it in mind, they heard a voice from heaven, what did the voice say? Come up hither, and up they went, right? Okay, that concurrent with chapter 11 is chapter 14. And look at chapter 14. And look at verse 1. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. I've stood on Mount Zion. It's on this earth. So you got Jesus Christ standing on the earth. He doesn't come to the earth when he comes to get us. He comes to the earth when he gets them. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. And with him an hundred and forty and four thousand having their father's name 
written in their foreheads. Sidebar. You ever hear about getting a mark, the, the, the bad people? They're going to get a mark in the forehead, and we all say it's the devil and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's true. Why are they going to do it? How are you going to get these people to accept a mark? It says God's people are going to have a mark. Doesn't the Bible say when you get saved, you get a new name written in glory? So when you baptize a Roman Catholic baby, you give him his middle name. He gets a new name. My name is Samuel Gipp. But when I got baptized, I became Samuel Charles Gipp. Uh, remember Muhammad Ali? He was Cassius Clay. When he became a Muslim, he got a new name. Everybody gets a new name. So, you know what? Why, why, does, why do the Muslims give them a new name? Because they know we get a new name written in glory. And I think the lost world may just get a mark in their forehead because you got 144,000 guys and they're servants of God with a mark in their forehead. And they said, I get marked too. So, now look at it. Verse 1. This 144,000 are standing on Mount Zion. Look at verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven. Didn't you just read that in chapter 11? Now, you know, where you're, you, you know where you hear things from? From where you're not. Yeah. I mean, if you heard a car horn right now, you wouldn't look in this room to say, I wonder where it's at. You'd hear it from what? Outside. Have you ever heard a car wreck? There are two distinct sounds with a car wreck. Right? Let me tell you what happened. A number of years ago, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, preaching. I heard a car wreck. I'm standing in the parking lot. I'm outside in the church. Nice blue sky day. Uh, the church is way up on a hill. There's a, there's a highway right down at the bottom. You can see it for a long way. And I heard the sound of a car wreck, but I didn't hear a screeching tires. I just heard the impact of the metal. Like they just drove into each other. No, they just bam, but I heard it. And I looked down the highway. There's no car wreck. There's no car wreck anywhere. But you know why? Truth. Do you know where I heard the sound of the car wreck from? Above me. What would you do if you're standing outside and you hear what sounds like a car wreck above you? You look up, and I did. And you know what I saw? When I looked up, I, I, think, it was, uh, I think when we came in Oklahoma City, I saw a bunch of KC-135s. KC-135 is an old 707 that is, a, that is air refueler. And when I looked up, I saw two KC-135s, and this was their flight pattern. Now, I got enough sense to know that if I look up and they're here going this way, go back about three, three seconds. I don't know if you know this, but in the Air Force, do you know what the number one cause or number one damage to planes is? In peacetime. Wing damage. You know why? Because they're all cowboys. And they get as close as they can, and they end up tangling, and they tear up wings. They don't lose the plane. They go in and get it damaged. And, and you know what I think these guys did? I think they had just been seeing how close they could get and slapped wings. I heard it from above me. Okay? They're standing on Mount Zion in chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. In chapter 14, verse 2, they hear a voice from heaven. What does it say? Chapter 11, verse 8. Come up hither. Look at 2. I heard a voice from heaven, as a voice of many waters, and the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harping, harpers harping with their harps. Watch verse 3. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. Ain't no throne on Mount Zion. And before the four beasts and the elders. Guys, this is, this is in heaven. This is Revelation chapter 4. In verse 1, they're standing on the earth. In verse 2, they hear a voice from heaven. In verse 3, they're standing in front of the throne. And what are they doing? 
And no man could learn that song, but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. So what happens here is after three and a half years, they murder Moses and Elijah. And after three and a half days, they come back to life. And the 144,000 and Moses and Elijah hear a voice from heaven come up hither. And I think Moses and Elijah go up. We saw that. We see those guys go up. And I think these guys go up. I don't know who those will be. Won't be you and me because we're going to be out of here. So there is a mid-tribulation rapture. We're just not going to be in it. And if, 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 uh, if Biden decides tomorrow that everything I told you is not going to happen. Right? I mean, really, just go shut up and eat ice cream. There's one more thing. I've got to show you one more thing that the world can't stop. Now, here's what I told you. The rapture's coming. The blessed hope. We're going to leave. They're going to build the third temple. There's going to be a one-world dictatorship and a one-world government. And there's going to be a worldwide tribulation and a mid-tribulation rapture. There's one more thing that the government can't stop. A little-known verse. Look at Romans. Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, preacher, we know about that verse. I know. Is that verse true? But what, what if Biden gets up and reads that tomorrow and says, I have mandated that that no longer happens. You can call upon the name of the Lord, but you will not be saved. Uh, if somebody right after that calls upon the name of the Lord, are they going to be saved? Yeah. His mandate don't mean nothing. Brother, till we're, as long as we're here, they get saved. I'll tell you this story and I'll be done. When I was in Bible college, <clears throat> there was a guy in my class. And he was uh, orderly, they called him. I don't know if they still call him orderlies at the hospital. But he was an orderly. And there was this guy in a room... <clears throat> I don't know why, but he was in a coma. I don't know what induced it. I don't know what happened. It wasn't voluntary. They couldn't wake him up. And the guy had been in a coma for a long time. And what this guy would do is, if he had a little free time and no one was around, he'd sneak into that guy's room and he'd get down by his ear and he'd give him the gospel. Because they say, some, some say they can hear, some say they can't. But he thought I'd give it a shot. And he would tell them about Jesus Christ coming and dying for this guy's sins and if you trust Jesus Christ. And he gave him the whole thing. And he did that for a long period of time. And he went home one Friday when his shift was done. And he came in Monday. And he walked in that room. And he's gone. And new sheets. The bed is clean. You know what happened. He died over the weekend. So he goes to the nurse's desk and he said, uh, when did Mr. So-and-so die? Saturday, Sunday, what? What? Well, when did he die? I see his bed's empty. They made his bed. He died, right? They said, no. No, what happened? He woke up Saturday. He sat bolt upright, wide awake, perfect and fine. And Sunday they sent him home. He's great. A year after that, he's in the hall of the hospital and he says, sees this guy walking down the hall to go visit somebody in the hospital. And he stops him and he says, excuse me a second, but he said, uh, are you, is your name? He goes, yeah, that's my name. He said, were you the guy who was in a coma? And, oh, yeah, he said, I was here for about six months, a bunch, yeah. Can I ask you something? When you were in a coma, I'd come into your room and I'd whisper the gospel to you. Could you hear me? He said, I heard every word. 
He said, I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal savior in a coma. You know why? Because whosoever shall call upon him more shall be saved. Guys, it still works. And the government can't stop it. Now, you can't do anything about when the rapture comes. You can't do anything about that third temple being built or putting up the tabernacle. You can't do anything about stopping a world war government. And you can't do anything about this tribulation. You're not going to be here for it. But you can do something about who goes up in that one. You can lead somebody to Christ. You know what I always say this? I, I, and I don't know who this counts for. I would not want to walk into heaven and not have somebody there to hug my neck and say, thanks for telling me about Jesus Christ. And again, I don't know what you count as a success. It's a deer head or a fish or a golfing trophy or your strawberry jam won something at the county fair. I, I, mean, I don't know what you count as success, but I'll tell you what success is. Somebody walks up and hugs your neck and says, man, I'm here because of you. You chased me down. I'm so mad at you. I wanted you to shut up. <laughs> Remember when I yelled at you? I witnessed after I got saved. I'll tell you this. After I got saved, I went back to the bar twice. I didn't drink. I, I always say this. When we get saved, we labor under two false assumptions. We think our friends and family haven't heard the gospel, and we think they'll be excited when we tell them. And I just thought all my drinking buddies at Old Timers Bar were just wringing their hands to hear the gospel. It was not thus. But I had a buddy of mine. He's a drinking guy. He was a Roman Catholic, just like me. Went to St. Joe's Roman Catholic Church, same church. He was a little Irish guy. And uh, he had been a Golden Gloves boxer. And we used to fight side by side on the streets. Well, he was in the army when I got saved. He was stationed in Germany. So here's what happens. He's in Germany over here. I'm in Maslin. I get saved. I go 1,200 miles south to Pensacola to go to Bible college. He musters out of the army, comes back in, walks into Old Timers Bar. Now, I told you I was in there seven days a week. You might think I was exaggerating. But Billy, he told me this later. He said, I walked into the bar, and you weren't there. I mean, he knew any day I would be there. And he said, you weren't there. And he said, I didn't say anything, but he said, I went the next day, and you weren't there. And I thought... He must be sick. He said, when I went in the third day and you weren't there, he stood up in the whole bar and said, where's Sam Gipp? And somebody said, well, he's kind of going on the other side now. He's a Baptist preacher. He said, I don't care what he is. I want to hear what happened to him. So I get home from my first Bible, uh, year of Bible college. Billy calls me up. He said, Sam, I heard you got religion. I said, no, I had religion. He was Roman Catholic. That's religion. I said, Billy, I got saved. He said, I don't care what you did. Come over and tell me about it. Woo-hoo. I had one asking. He was asking. I went over to his house. I can still see it. We're sitting in his living room. I have my Bible there. And he's sitting on a couch. I'm sitting on a chair. And I'm telling him about the gospel. But here's what I remember about Billy. Irish temper. And we could always tell when somebody was going to get punched in the mouth by Billy because when he started getting mad, when the water started to simmer and boil, you'd see him do this with his hands. And when he started doing this, somebody's going to get decked. I'm talking, and he's rubbing. <laughs> this ain't looking too good for the good guys. All of a sudden, he leaps to his feet, and he says, shut up! He said, get out of my house! 
He said, you left our church, you left your friends, you left your family, you turned your back on all of us. Get out of my house, never speak to me again. I went out. That was in 1970, summer 1970. Uh, in 1979, I went over to the Madison Baptist Temple, a church of about 2,000 people. I was the youth director. And I was there until 81, and then I, I went and pastored, and, I, and then in 86, I went back in evangelism. But it happened in 86 that I was back at the Madison Baptist Temple. Now, I don't like to talk once the song service starts. I just don't feel right. Now, you've got, you got a sanctuary that holds 2,500 people. And, and I'm walking down the hall, and everybody's grabbing me, talking to me, grabbing me and talking to me. And so I got in after the song service began, and I went to sit down, and this guy behind me, black hair, beard, white shirt, tie, black pants, puts his hand up and says, Sam Gipp. I thought, that's amazing. That's my name, too. <laughs> but I didn't say anything because the music's going on. I sat down. I said, hi, and I sat down. And all through that service, all I thought about was, I can't remember his name. Well, he wasn't one of my students, or one of my class. He was too young. He wasn't one of my college students, and he wasn't. He wasn't the father of any of the guys that I had in my class. I, I put that guy in every Sunday school class in that church and could not remember. I'm mad now because now when, I, when it's over, I got to turn around and tell him, I can't remember your name. So the service is over. I turn around to, to apologize to him. But when I turn around, I see his wife. But I knew her. She's an old Catholic girl married Billy Murray. I said, Billy, what are you doing here? He said, I got saved, Sam. I said, when? He said, two years ago. I said, what happened? He said, you remember when you came over to my house? I said, uh, yeah. He said, you remember when I threw you out? I said, vaguely. <laughs> he said, man, I told our drinking buddies about it. He said, I made you look really bad. I made me look really good. Now listen, I hadn't seen him in 16 years since he threw me out. He said, what you don't know is that for 14 years, the next day, I saw you pull up in front of my house, get out of your truck, come in my living room, witness to me again. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, for 14 years, you walked into my house, sat in my living room, opened your Bible, and gave me the gospel. After 14 years, I couldn't take it anymore. I sat in my, in my living room, opened the Bible, read it till I found the plan of salvation and trusted Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. He said, then I called every church in town, told them I got saved, where should I go to church? None of them could tell me where to go, but they all said, don't come here. <laughs> and Billy joined. 2013, Billy went home. He got saved. Man, I'm going to see him someday. I'm going to see my dad. I led my dad to the Lord at the altar of my church, and side be, right beside me, my wife led my mom to the Lord. Is anybody going to be in heaven? Not because you prayed for them. Not because you passed a track. I mean, you sat down with a Bible and said, here's what you do. I'm going to give you a prayer. I gave you a prayer earlier this week about, you can disagree with God, but he's always right. Let me give you another prayer. If you're sitting here right now and going, yeah, I don't want to see you. I, I want to, I'd like to, I'd like to win somebody crash what to do. You ready for this? Ask God for an easy one. Yeah. Ask him for, so what's an easy one? My wife prayed. She said, I haven't led anybody to the Lord for a while. We're in a church of a thousand people in, in, uh, uh, up in Boise. After a morning service, 
a 15-year-old girl walked in. She wasn't even in the service. And she walked up to somebody and said, I asked my grandparents to bring me here today because I want to be saved. And, and, and they said, if I, if I came here, somebody tell me how to be saved. And the, the lady looks over to my wife. She says, you would talk to this girl? How's that for easy? <laughs> and then she went home the next Sunday. She brought her 14-year-old sister and she got saved. Let me ask you a question. You get to heaven. Who's going to hug your neck? Who's going to say, thanks for telling me about Jesus Christ. Thanks for, thanks for not giving up on me. Thanks for leading me to Christ. Don't you want one? I'm just saying one. One. Because you can still be saved. All of this is going to happen and the world can't stop it. I'm telling you right now, Biden could declare tomorrow that the book of Romans doesn't count and you could bow your head and trust Christ as a personal Savior. It doesn't matter what that bozo says. Isn't that true? So we've still got a chance to win somebody to Christ. And the world can't stop it. I'd like you to stand with your heads bowed.